Kayla, welcome back. I'm glad you're here, Kayla. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I hope you're comfortable where you're sitting just now. This whole news this week about Rod has been a big sadness in my heart, and it's caused me to want to reach out and give people hugs a little bit more than I normally do. I'm kind of a hugger anyways, so I've been hugging people in the grocery store that I don't know and stuff like that. But I hope you're comfortable because I'd like for you to stand back up and find three people to give a hug to, and then we'll get started with our sermon today. All right, all right. That's enough of that. Stop loving on each other. We're done. Have a seat. <laughs> Grace and peace. Ooh, man. Just so thankful for those two things in my life every single day. So, so grateful. I hope you had time. If you were here last Sunday, I challenged you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes this week, and I hope you had time to do that. And if you didn't, thank God it's still right there in the Bible. You can still open your Bible up this week. It'll be right there. And uh, we said last week if we read two chapters a day, then in one week we could read through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you missed doing that last week or you didn't quite finish I want to encourage you to read through the book of Ecclesiastes this week. Now, if you did read Ecclesiastes last week, then then here's my next challenge to you this week. And that is to choose one psalm, psalm, the book of Psalms, choose one of them each day, and you could choose any one you want. If you start reading it and you're like, no, this, I mean, this, I I don't, maybe... I mean, let's be honest, you read it and you go, I don't like it. I don't like this one, okay? That's all right. God put them there so we could have a lot of choices of what we pray and, and what we're saying to Him. So find one, read through one psalm each day, and here's what we're trying to do. This is going to help us as we concentrate on God's character. That's the reason I want us to study the book of Ecclesiastes. I know it's a book of philosophy. I know it's a book about life. I know it's a book about all kinds of things that Solomon went after, but I want us to see God's character. 
as we read the book of Ecclesiastes. And you can do that in the book of Psalms as well. As we go through this series called The God of Yes, and you read in Psalms this week, look for the things that you read that God is saying yes to as you read through Psalms. And ask God to speak to you this week, to you personally, Lord, what things in my life are you stamping a yes on? Lord, in my life, what things in this world around me, the place that I live, the place I work, the the people that I know, help me, Lord, to follow you in the places that you're working and moving, the places where you're saying, yes, help me to join you, God. Let's make this personal. Let's not just make it a study that we know the words to. Let me give you, I, I wasn't gonna, this is in my notes, but I was just going to share something with you real quick. In the kids' class this morning, we had uh, Jay, 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 what's your last name, Jay? Spray. Jay Spray and I were teaching, and we were teaching the kids from about, um, probably about six years old up to fifth grade. And so we were talking about faith, and we were talking about a mustard seed of faith. Now, how do you explain faith? How do you explain faith to young children? How do you do that? So we were asking them, what is faith? They said, well, it's, you could believe, that's faith. Good, that's good, that's right. To believe is faith. And then, and then I asked them the question. We got a chair out, and I said, how could you have faith in this chair? And they said, well, you can talk about the chair, and you can count, the ch- you can count how many legs are on the chair. There's four. So you could have faith in it because it has four legs. Or you could look at it, and you could see that it's, it's built you know, well, and so you know, that, you know that it's strong, and so you could have faith in it. Or you could have hope that it won't fall when you sit on it. And you could have faith that... And so that's, that was good. They were saying good things. But then I got one of the kids and I said, come over here. And I, I whispered in her ear. I said, do you trust me? And she said, yes. And I said, will you sit on this chair? She said, yes. And she sat down on the chair. That's faith. Faith is the action of doing something of taking a risk of what God tells you to do. And many times it's a temptation for all churches, all people who go to worship today in all places. It's a temptation to talk about faith. To examine God and see how faithful He looks. And to leave and go through our week and never put our faith right there on God. Put our weight on Him. So let's make this study of God in Ecclesiastes personal in our own life. Let's ask Him to help us. God, how can this be personal in my life? Last week we talked about many people see God as a God of no. He says no all the time. That He's the killjoy. He's the sour God who wants to, run, to ruin everybody's fun. That's what he's out to do. And it is true, we said last week that God does say no sometimes, but God, his no, leads to a better yes on the other side of that no. And we also saw that the book of Ecclesiastes is an examination of what life is like when we leave God out. That's what Solomon is examining. 
The phrase under the sun is in Ecclesiastes more than two dozen times. And as you read Ecclesiastes again this week or for the first time this week, if you will just take that phrase under the sun and you can just replace it with leave God out. Every time you see it, that's what Solomon is examining. What is life like when you leave God out? So we're looking at this book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to see that God says no. He says no to the idea of leaving Him out of our lives. He says no to replacing Him with something or someone else. When we put Him first though, when we put God first, when we set Him on the throne of our heart, He says yes to much more than many of us realize. And this week we're going to talk about pleasure. I wonder how many of you are for pleasure. Like you would say, yeah, I like pleasure. Okay, well two of us. Oh, there's another couple in the back. There's a few more. Okay. Like if I have a choice, like I could sleep on a really nice, new, comfortable bed or on a concrete floor. I'm taking the bed every time if I get a choice. Now, I don't, I'm not going to kick somebody out you know, just to get the bed. I'm not saying that. But if I have the choice, I'm going for the one that is more pleasurable. If I have a choice of eating a delicious meal, Amy made this delicious soup last night, and it had sausage in it and spinach and onions and a bunch of stuff she puts in there I don't know how to pronounce. And it was delicious. And I have the cho- if I have the choice of either that soup or a bowl of dirt, I'm going for the soup every time. A hundred out of a hundred. I'm going for the pleasurable thing. If I have a choice and I can take a big whiff, get my nose right into a flower, smell that flower, or I can walk over on the road and smell a skunk that got hit last night on the road, I'm choosing the flower every single time. All of us. Everybody. We choose pleasure. And today we're going to see in chapter 2 that Solomon, he's going to explore this idea of pleasure. And he's going to dive all the way into the deep end of this pool of pleasure. And he's going to report back to us what he finds out. So let's pray, and then after we pray, we will uh, start reading in Ecclesiastes 2. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those children and their answers about faith today. And we pray that you would be growing faith in those kids that we love so much. We pray that as they put their small faith in you, a big God, that you will do amazing things. God, we, uh, we just want to pray today for the Mays family, and we ask for, we ask for your spirit to uh, bring healing and for uh, you to be close to uh, all of us who are broken-hearted. And we claim today the promises that you have made about eternal life. We believe, God. We believe that Rod belonged to you. And so we rejoice because you said blessed are those from now on who die in the Lord. So we trust you. We put our weight on that. We don't just say those words. We put our weight on it. And we rejoice today. Thank you for this part of the Bible, God. 
And we pray that as we read, we might not only think about our behavior, but we might think about your character. And we pray all this through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Ecclesiastes 2, and we'll read the first 11 verses from Ecclesiastes 2. If you want to open your Bibles there, I don't have any words behind me today. And uh, that's just from my own lack of preparation, not getting those up there. But if you want to get a Bible out or you can listen, and I promise you this is from the Bible. This is from the New International Version. Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 11. Solomon said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female servants and had other servants who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all my wisdom, in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained, say the three words with me, under the sun. Nothing was gained. Solomon says, when I left God out, nothing was gained by any of this that I did. He explores pleasure pretty thoroughly. Laughter and wine and foolishness and hobbies and sex and amassing wealth and anything else that his eyes and heart could imagine. Anything. He had all the resources, all the power, anything he could imagine. He doesn't deny in any of this. He does not deny the fact that these things are pleasurable. These things are enjoyable. These things are fun. But he gives readers a warning here in this chapter. Here's the warning. Pleasures will not deliver lasting happiness or long-term joy. You will not be content if you're depending on these experiences. It's like a thirsty man who's dying of thirst, drinking salt water. And the more he drinks, the less his thirst is quenched. More and more and more equals less and less and less. There are other, many other scriptures that give similar warnings about the dangers of pleasure. Just a few of them. Proverbs 21, verse 17 says this, Whoever loves pleasure... Get that. 
loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. If we love pleasure, the proverb says, we will become poor. 1 Timothy verse five, chapter 5 and verse 6, it says this, the widow who lives for pleasure. So some people love pleasure, and some people live for pleasure, right? You know people like this. Maybe you've been this kind of person in your life. Maybe you are this kind of person, that you love pleasure, or you live for pleasure. The widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. The warning is, if that's the road that you're living on, that's what you're living for, it leads nowhere. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind under the sun. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells the parable of somebody spreading seeds on different places. And he says the seed, when he explains the parable, he says the seed is the Word of God. It's like this right here, where the Word of God is going out to you and it's falling on your heart. And each of us today, our heart is in a certain condition. Either it's good, or, or perhaps it's shallow today, or perhaps it's thorny today, or perhaps it's hard. I have a hard heart today. And it's the same when you talk to your friends about the Lord, or, or, or you say something about Jesus, and we plant seeds, they fall on people's hearts and in Luke 8.14, Jesus says, he explains, he says, the seed that fell among the thorns, if your heart was thorny, this is what the thorns stand for. Those who hear the word, but as they go on their way, the word is choked out by what? By life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. There's no doubt that pleasure is something to be careful with. It's much like fire. Fire can be incredibly destructive. It can cause mass destruction, as we saw here just a few years ago. Burning over 40,000 acres and over 200 homes right here in our small village but if it's handled properly, if fire is handled in the right way, what, is, what, what better is, thing is there on a, on a cold winter night than to sit in front of your fireplace with a crackling, warm fire? We treat fire with safety, and when we do, we can enjoy it. Many people read this text that we read today in Ecclesiastes 2, and they say, well, I'll tell you what, we better just avoid pleasure altogether. We better say no to all fire because it might escape out of the fireplace. It might get out of control. There's no telling where that might lead. So no, as some of the things that Solomon talked about, no drinking alcohol, no dancing, no silliness, no lazy days on the beach. Who knows where all of that might lead? We'll say no to all pleasure just to be safe. We can become like little kids. I don't know, I'm sure you know some little kids like this. I've met a few in my life. Little children who are just way too serious. Have you ever met some of them before? 
they're like little adults. They're so driven, you know, and they're just like, they're, they're so oriented to be overachievers. And I just want to look at some of those little kids and say, dude, take off your jacket and your tie and go play with the toys your parents gave you. Just have a good time. These are gifts that your dad and mom gave you. Enjoy being a kid. So many Christians, so many Christian communities, in fact, can begin to look like a bunch of unhappy people who were baptized in lemon juice. And after they came up out of the lemon juice, they were told, now you keep that sour look on your face until Jesus comes back. There are Christian communities that look that way. I've been to some of those churches, and so have you. But is this the way that God feels about pleasure? When it comes to these pleasurable things that Solomon explored, is God a God of no? Reach out to touch one of those things? No! Is that the character of our God? Well, just a few places in the Bible to think about God's character and about how God feels about pleasure. In the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 8, this is what God says to His people. Go up in the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. God takes pleasure. God does not avoid pleasure. God takes pleasure in His house, in His people building His house, in being honored in His house. The Bible didn't have to use that word pleasure. I looked it up in almost every every version of the Bible that I could find, and all of them that I found say pleasure. All the old versions, all the new versions, the word is pleasure. Didn't have to use that word. The writer could have said, build my house, get the timbers, build my house, and then I will come through and do a checklist and I'll give my approval. The Bible could have said, build my house, and then I will mark that off my checklist of things I have to do because God has a lot of things to do. He does. He's accomplishing all kinds of things in this world, and he could have marked that one off. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that God finds pleasure. He doesn't say no to pleasure. He says yes to pleasure. The second thing is this. God is the creator of pleasure. God's the creator of pleasure. Just think about your own body for just a moment. Your five senses. And realize that the way God made your body reveals that pleasure is part of His plan. Our sensory organs are proof that God is not opposed to pleasure. Why does food taste so delicious? Why is the scent of rain so pleasing? Why is a back massage so enjoyable? Because God wants it to be that way. He planned pleasure as His own idea for us. Now, if you still have a hard time accepting that God created pleasure for us to enjoy in its fullest measure, 
then let me ask you a few questions. Why did God give you taste buds? Why did He do that? He didn't have to give you taste buds. And then He made strawberries. Now, if He didn't want pleasure, why did He give us taste buds? And why did He make strawberries so delicious? If food were only designed to sustain our physical bodies, then God would have made strawberries completely utilitarian. No texture, no delightful red color, no savory drops of juice when you bite into it, no mouth-popping sweetness. Are you guys getting hungry? You guys thinking about it a little bit? Mouth-watering? It's supposed to point us toward a good, good Father who knows how to give His children good gifts. The same point could be made for numerous of other creations that God has made in, in His creation. From the pleasure of a parent seeing their child do well and, and just brings great pleasure when we see that our child is succeeding and doing well. To the joy of a sunset over Sierra Blanca Mountain. To, to, the, to looking out the window and seeing snow falling. Lord, please, we're asking, we're talking about pleasure here. Please bring us some snow. To the physical embrace of a husband and wife in all its passion and intimacy. God made all that. It doesn't take a Bible scholar to see if you read the Song of Solomon that God celebrates the intense pleasure of a physical relationship between a husband and a wife. He loves it. He created it. He made it. And He included pleasure in it. God created us this way. And so when it comes to pleasure and it's enjoyed the way that He intends for us to enjoy it, God is a God of yes. And the third thing is this. God speaks about His relationship with us and eternity in terms of pleasure. Psalm 84. Listen to these words. A prayer to God. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Do you hear that language of pleasure that is used to describe Knowing God, I yearn, I faint, my heart and flesh cry out for this. These are words that we use to describe pleasure. And God is more than okay with that. In fact, God has pleasure for us, He says, that is eternal. Psalm 16, verse 11. Another prayer. You make known to me the path of life, God. You will fill me with joy in Your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The Bible describes knowing God and being in His presence as eternal pleasure. When it comes to pleasure in the right context, God is the God of yes. Now some of you may be thinking, who cares? I mean, honestly, so what? Why are we talking about pleasure? How does that make any difference really in our life? It matters for a couple of reasons. 
There's two dangers, that I, at least two dangers, of misunderstanding pleasure and what God believes about pleasure. First of all is this. It's believing that God is keeping something away from me. He's holding something back. I believe it's probably been in my life, and I've seen it in many other people's lives, one of the devil's biggest tricks. He wants us to think God is against pleasure. God is the God of no. Think about Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. And God gives them all this garden of pleasure. But what does the devil come and tempt them with? The devil comes to say, God doesn't want you to have all that you want. That's who God is. God doesn't want you to have all you could have. God doesn't want you to have all you deserve. God is withholding this good from you. And Adam and Eve believe Him. Say, you're right. God is holding out on us. But listen to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, verse 11 and 12 says this, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold. Listen to that. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's what this boils down to. This idea about pleasure is do we trust God? Do we trust that the gifts that God has given us are enough? God's not withholding anything good from us. In fact, the pleasures that He offers are actually part of the way that we avoid temptation. Have you ever thought of that? Pleasure is part of the way that we avoid temptation. The Apostle Paul makes just this point in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. He says this. He says, flee sexual immorality. Run away from sexual immorality. That's what you need to do. But how do we do that, Paul? His method of running away from sexual immorality is to run into the embrace of your spouse. To run into this God-given pleasure that's meant for marriage. It's not the pleasure of sex that we are to flee from. It's the sinful use of watering down, of a watered-down counterfeit. That's what we're supposed to run away from. And that's true of all the pleasures. All the pleasures that God gives us on this earth. Whether they be food or wine or creation or reading or building or working at your job or laying on the beach or countless other God-given pleasures. God's not keeping anything from us. Nothing. He's not the God of no. He's offering us the very, the very best pleasures that are available in this life and on this earth. He is the God of yes. So that's the first danger, is believing God's keeping something from me. He's holding something back from me. That's a big danger. If you think that, you need to ask God to help you change your thinking because it's a very dangerous place to be. Here's the second danger, and that's misrepresenting God to those who don't know Him. Misrepresenting God to people who do not know Him. Sometimes I can imagine if I had never, never been to church before, never gone you know, and been a part of a 
family of believers, and I don't really know much about Christianity. And if I just started getting to know some Christians, sometimes I think that the invitation would feel something like, hey, come on, John. We follow a God who says no to a bunch of fun stuff in life. Come on and join us at church. We can all be miserable together. Jump in the deep end of misery. Let's go. It's wonderful. The water's great. I, I know it's been years ago since I told this story, but some of you I know have heard it before. But 20 years ago when I was a youth minister, or 25 years ago, however long it was, when I was a youth minister, one of the things I used to do here was substitute teach in the schools just mostly to be around the kids in their, in, where, they, where they're at. And, and so I was substitute, substitute teaching one day. And uh, God bless you substitutes. Man, I was sitting in class at the desk at the front, and I pretty much would just tell the students, um, "You, here's your assignment, it's on the board. Uh, the teacher said, you're supposed to do it, and so you can do it or not do it. I don't really care what you do, okay? That's between you and your teacher. What I do care is that you find a place to sit down and you sit down. And uh, because just keeping students in a chair at high school is a challenge. Is that true? Is that true, some of you teachers? Yeah, it's hard. So I, I was sitting there, and one of the students disobeyed my one rule and came up and sat down at the chair on the other side of the desk from me, and it was a young lady. And she just started talking to me, and she's saying, you know, so we're, you, know, you live here in Rudosa? Yeah, I live in Rudosa, you know. Well, tell me about your family. I told her, you know, I'm married, and and uh, she said, you know, you're going, you're going to college or something? No, I graduated from college. Oh, you're going to become a teacher? No, I'm not going to become a teacher. Well, what are you doing here? Why are you substitute teaching? And I said, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a youth minister at a church, and I just wanted to come hang out with some teenagers. And she just pushed that chair back from that desk, and she said, I hate priests. <laughs> Check and make sure my collar wasn't turned around backwards real quick. Okay. I said, well, why is that? You guys are always telling us you can't do normal, natural stuff that we're made to do, like have sex with our boyfriend or smoke marijuana, smoke pot, you know, get stoned. We can't. You just tell us all the time. No, no, no. So I said, well, I, I understand what you're saying. She said, I've read the Bible. I said, you did? You read the Bible? I said, that's good. Yeah, I read the Bible. And there's this guy in there named Paul. You ever heard of him? I was like, yeah, I heard of Paul. And she said, well, you guys say we're not supposed to smoke marijuana, but he got stoned seven times. That's a true story. That really happened. That's not a joke. Sometimes that can be all we do to represent ourselves as Christ followers. Don't do this, don't do that. No, 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 no. And that's all people know about us. That's all they know about God. Listen to this description of the things that God did. God did these things for the Jews when he brought them back from captivity. This is in Psalm 126. And this is people writing when we were coming back from captivity. What God did for us, and this is their experience. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. 
And then it was said among the nations. Right? All the people who don't know God, it was said among all those people, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. You hear the language there? Dreams, laughter, songs, joy. This is what God has given us. This is what God has done for us. And our posture as Christians, those who've been rescued from sin and death by the work of Jesus at the cross, should be this. Look what God has done for us. Look! It's amazing. He's given us all these pleasurable gifts on this earth from a good, good father to his children. And he's also given us, more importantly, eternal life where there are eternal pleasures at his right hand. And then we should say, come on and join us in following this God, the God of yes, Knowing Him is the greatest experience. It's the greatest pleasure possible in the universe. So the invitation today is this. He invites you to that great relationship. And if you have never said yes to Him, if you've never done that, but He's drawing your heart today, He's pulling you, you can sense the Holy Spirit working in your heart, that's happening today, don't quench the Spirit. Today's the day of salvation. You come while we stand and while we sing.